You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We are in part two of a message, When God Builds a Man. We're looking at this life of Joseph. And Joseph, he does not know it, uh, but his life is a prefigure of Jesus. Uh, By the way, if you need Bibles, raise your hand. Uh, You'll definitely need a Bible. Uh, Don't go through the service without a Bible in your hand. And uh, uh, these handsome ushers and usherettes would love to give you one. Joseph, uh, he is a prefigure of King Jesus. He does not know it, but God is sovereignly moving in his life, orchestrating all the events of his life to be a foreshadow, to be a prophetic foreshadow of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we've been looking at that. Last week, we looked at several ways where his life was a picture of Jesus. Uh, In that same process, God is also doing a work. He's building his man. Joseph has no idea of the greater scheme of how God is using him to glorify Jesus. And may I say to you, church, he's doing the same thing in your life. He's using circumstances of life to build you as a man, a woman, a child of God. A person of substance. A person of character. A person of integrity. That just their life, our life, looks different than the rest of the world. It shines brightly. And I tell you, there's never a greater need as the darkness is prevalent. And at the same time, he's taking our life and unknowing to us, he's using our life to the glory of Jesus and revealing Jesus in and through it, in and through us without us even being aware it's going on. Joseph has no idea his life is being such a powerful, prophetic prefigure of Jesus. But this is what God does. Uh, he reveals and he reflects and all glory be to Jesus in our lives and through our lives. And so in this process, uh, there's an amazing work going on. And today we're going to look at how God builds a man. And, and by man, I mean human, male or female. How God builds a man and, and, and begins to mold us and shape us and transform our lives. And what a glorious work. We're looking at this guy named Joseph. He is one of the 12 sons of Israel. Israel is a man. He was Jacob. We've studied him in detail. God changed his name to Israel which is what God does for all of us. He makes us born again. Jacob was a swindler. That's what his name meant. Heel catcher, deceiver. And God changed his name into governed by God. Again, a picture of what God does for all of us. Uh, Israel, Jacob, Israel had 12 sons. One of these sons was Joseph. And Joseph was his fave. Uh, not good, right? You should love your kids equally. Uh, but Joseph was his fave. The reason? It was the son of Rachel, the, the, the bride that he loved. He really didn't want all these wives. It kind of happened to him by his uncle Laban who deceived him. Uh, but here, uh, Rachel had Joseph and Joseph was the son of his love. Rachel's now died in childbearing with her uh, uh, second son. And uh, Joseph's first, excuse me, uh, Israel's firstborn, Reuben uh, sinned against his father pretty severely. And so Israel takes the birthright blessing that should have been Reuben's and he gives it to Joseph. And that was the coat of many colors. Uh, That was this double inheritance. Uh, That was showing the favor of the father and the favor of the inheritance on this son, Joseph. As a result of that, we learned, we read, what did that do to all his brothers? They were jealous. And because they were jealous, they were constantly picking on him. And because they envied him, uh, they began to allow evil thoughts in their hearts to marinate. And one day at 17 years of age, Israel sends his son Joseph to go check on his brothers who are tending the sheep in Shechem. Shechem was 50 miles away, and uh, he sends him there. He says, hey, Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. 
Uh, let's make sure that they're doing okay. Bring them some provisions. And let's make sure that no raiders have come and taken the, all the flocks. And let's just bring back a word to me and let me know how they're doing. So he sends Joseph off to go check on his brothers and to bless them, uh, to bring them provisions. And as Joseph is coming to them, they see him a long way off. And as he's a far way off, they conspire in their hearts to murder their brother. You see, when we don't deal with our sinful thoughts immediately, they begin to marinate and they begin to permeate and they begin to putrefy our minds, our thoughts, our soul, our actions. And they see their brother afar off and they say, let's kill him. And so he comes up, and while he, they, he is walking up, they put together a full plan of premeditated murder, complete with an alibi of what they're, gonna, what they're going to do. Uh, Reuben uh, stands and says, hey, let's, uh, let's don't do this. Uh, let's throw them in a pit right here. And, and uh, uh, they do. As they throw him in the pit, then Judah comes up and he's got an idea. And he says, hey, instead of killing him, we're not going to get anything if we kill him. Let's sell him. Let's get some money out of this thing. So they see a band of Ishmaelites, traders, going into Egypt with all their merchandise. Big Amazon logo on the side of their camels. <laughs> uh, bringing all their stuff down to Egypt, right, to, to trade. And uh, Judah says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we make some money? We'll sell them to, them, to him as a slave, and we'll keep the money. And so they do. Uh, and uh, Joseph is sold uh, into Egypt. Uh, they take his coat of many colors, and they dip it in blood, and they bring it back to their dad. And they say, hey, do you know whose coat this is? Uh, how cruel, right? And Israel mourns at the, what he thinks is the death of Joseph, doesn't know his boys are lying to him. And Joseph goes in, and he goes into, uh, into Egypt. And uh, they're 17 years old, man, 17 years old, taken to a foreign country, sold as a slave. And he's bought by a guy named uh, Potiphar, who just happens to be the captain of the guard for uh, the royalty of Egypt, uh, the pharaoh himself, uh, uh, probably like a CIA kind of guy. Uh, and uh, Potiphar is over all of it, and he is bought into Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar has a wife, uh, Mrs. Potiphar, and Mrs. Potiphar is a hottie. I mean, she's gorgeous, uh, and uh, she has longing eyes for Joseph, and so we're going to pick up right where we left off. We're actually going to back up just a little bit. Uh, let's pick up in uh, chapter 39, and we'll jump in at verse 6. If you're there, 39 verse 6, give me a big amen if you're there. Amen. Let's pray as we open God's word. Uh, Jesus, we are so thankful that you have preserved your word for us, miraculously, for many have tried to destroy it. And Lord, your word tells us that all of this is, is written by inspiration of God, as God breathed and is profitable for doctrine and reproof and instruction, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, your word also tells us that these things were written for our learning, that you preserved these certain stories and you worked in human history to reveal these things to us that we might know how to have a relationship with you, what your heart is and what your mind is. So Lord, help us now to hear and to receive from your word all that you intended it to deliver to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. 39.6. Chapter 39, verse 6, then he, that's Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Joseph was in charge of Potiphar Industries. Potiphar was a multimillionaire. Uh, there was uh, uh, pretty big class divisions in Egypt at this time. You were either dirt poor or you were filthy rich. Uh, Potiphar was very, very wealthy, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. That simply means this. He trusted Joseph so much that he didn't even look at how much was in his portfolio. He didn't even look at how it was being traded and being invested. He just, uh, when he needed money, went to the 
Joseph ATM and, and left everything else in Joseph's hand. Uh, now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. Uh, the Bible doesn't speak of outward beauty very often. Uh, so this is an ano anomaly. And it tells us that Joseph was a strapping young man. He was kind of a cross between Brad Pitt and J.C. Cooper. Uh, uh, just, you know, good-looking guy. I know you're not supposed to covet, but man, I wish I had a chest like J.C. I tell you what. Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And it came to pass, after these things, after Joseph was sold as a slave rose up through the ranks into a position of influence, rose up into the, through the ranks, and now in Potiphar's house over a long period of time to a place where he is the CEO of Potter, Potiphar Industries. It came to pass after these things, after all that happened, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me, Joseph, baby. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has into my hand, and there was no one greater in the house than I. He's not boasting. He's simply saying, I have been entrusted with everything your family owns. Your husband has made me the CEO of all of it. Uh, how could I do this against him, right? Uh, look, look, what he, look what he's done. Uh, he put all of it, uh, committed all that he has into my hand. Verse 9, there is no one greater in the house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife, Mrs. Potiphar, in case you forgot. And look at this. Here's the thesis of his statement. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Uh, Joseph's relationship with God was his priority in life. Joseph's relationship with God was where he found his value and his significance and his worth. It wasn't from being CEO of Potiphar Enterprises. It was from his walk with God. And I love this man. Here is a young man full of hormones and red-blooded Jewish young man with all kinds of natural desires, living in a land of temptation, a land of moral depravity, a land of uh, licentiousness, and here he refuses to compromise. And look at verse 10. Verse 10 is interesting. And so, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph, what does it say? Day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Why does it tell us this verse, verse 10? What is the point of verse 10? It was constant. Way to go. It was this reoccurring. This wasn't a one-time temptation. This was what? A daily ongoing thing that he was facing. And uh, here we see uh, uh, just uh, some, some difficult things that Joseph is having to deal with once again. And I want to review, maybe you weren't here last week, just review quickly. We read this passage. I'm backing up just a little bit as we get into this new section to set it up for context's sake. Uh, but let's kind of review what we looked at on this. Uh, how does Joseph deal with all this adversity? Sold by his brothers, uh, beaten and left for dead, uh, 17 years old, and sold to a, as a slave to a foreign country. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And now, I mean, he's a... He's a celibate guy trying to, you know, wait for his wife. And, and now he's got this sexual temptation to deal with from this beautiful woman. How does he handle all this adversity? Well, we saw, we looked at it last week. Number one, he had great reverence for God. Uh, his, his reverence for God was what was controlling his life. His reverence for God was what was leading and guiding and directing him. 
It was his love for God that, that, notice what he says, how can I do this and sin against God? Uh, I realize that, uh, that God has blessed me in all these ways and that he's the creator of the universe and that he cares about me and he's called me to have a relationship with, and how could I sin against him? Uh, it's amazing to ponder that God would care about the things that we're thinking about. God would care about our sexual activity. God would care about if we have integrity or not. Uh, well, how could that possibly be? Well, it couldn't be if he was just a deist type view of God, but it reveals that that's not who God is. God is very much involved and, and very much a relationship God. And it is this relationship that has touched Joseph's heart that he knows, uh, wow, I, I am loved by the creator. How then can I do this and sin against God? David, after he uh, slept with Bathsheba and committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, uh, he went through a period of time where he was just hardened in his ways and not repenting, and, and he, God finally got a hold of his heart. And when he did, he would write in Psalm 51, he would write, Lord, against you and you only I have sinned. How does that work? Didn't you sin against Bathsheba? Didn't you sin against Uriah for crying out loud? Uh, didn't you sin against the whole nation? Well, yeah, of course. But God, what is David saying? Uh, you are my creator. You are the lover of my soul. You are the one who uh, is with me. And, and all, all, you know, your thoughts toward me are, are more than uh, the sands of the sea. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm sorry. I've done this against you. And here, Joseph sees this. He has great reverence for God. His answer reaches the highest ethical plane. His life is all about God. And he sees himself as God's servant. He does not see himself as being equal with God. You know, I find in the world today, many, many people see themselves as equal with God. As if, like, God owes you something. I want you to know, think about the size of the universe. You are less than a flea in scale on the size of the universe. God is not equal with you, and God owes you what? Nothing. Nothing. But this God desires to have a relationship with you. You were created on purpose, and when the heart understands that, life fills its worth. Uh, uh, it's then that life begins. Uh, and here, God, uh, uh, excuse me, Joseph sees himself as a servant of God. How can I do this and sin against my God? Uh, he doesn't think that God owes him anything. Secondly, Joseph is full of gratitude for what God has done for him, for all that uh, God has done. He, he doesn't sit there and go, you know, it was my own prowess. I came from nothing. I was sold by my brothers. I was 17 when I came to this country, and I built this empire myself. No, 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 we don't see any of that. We see a man who is just very full of gratitude for all that God has blessed, blessed him with and entrusted him with. He didn't write a book on how to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be more amazing than everybody else as you rise to the top. Because <laughs> those books sell well, man. You get rich writing books like that. Uh, he's not that way. He's full of gratitude. And I want you to know gratitude will do a lot for you. Gratitude is an essential ingredient in our character that God is trying to build. And gratitude will affect your mental health in a powerful way. And gratitude will affect your spiritual health in a powerful way. And gratitude will affect your physical health in a powerful way. And gratitude will affect your marital health in a powerful way. And Joseph, we see, he's a man of gratitude. And this is how he endures this adversity. He's like thankful that God has given him such favor. And he sees that all these things have come from God. Uh, gratitude enables us, by the way, to look past the hardships of the day and to see with vision beyond the hardship, to see with vision a bigger picture than just the hardship. And without gratitude, that cannot happen. Uh, the third thing uh, uh, that we talked about last week, and just as a way of review, is Joseph respects, he honors the authority that God has placed over his life. 
This is an important part of being a man or woman of godly character. And this is something that we often neglect as an ingredient of our character, and yet it's very important to God. Uh, Submitting yourself to authority will do something in your life. It will cause you, it will require you to be humble. We all are prone to think that we are right all the time. The Bible says that every man is right, what? In his own eyes. Let me ask you, who is every man? Well, that's me. The problem with me is I'm always right in my own eyes. And God will ask me to submit to authority, even when authority is wrong, uh, to keep me humble and to uh, build my character. Important ingredient, often neglected. And so these three things are essential. Having reverence for God, being full of gratitude, and honoring the authority that God has placed over your life, that will help you to navigate and endure uh, hardships in a very profound way where you'll come through shining and God will elevate you. Uh, By the way, if you don't know who the authority in your life is, you're not honoring it. I know who the authority in my life is. And I go out of my way uh, to honor that authority. Why? Because I know that it's God's will. And can I tell you something? It has blessed me tremendously. I'm so thankful for the men in my life that I come to for counsel. And when they speak, I listen. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, may we walk in those things. These three traits will really help us be successful even in adversity. And we see it surely working true for, for uh, Joseph. Uh, but Potiphar's wife Uh, She didn't take no for an answer, man. She's going to come on uh, even stronger. She's not giving up on young, strapping Joseph, handsome in form and appearance. Uh, She is going to continue coming after him, and she pulls out all the stops, and little um, Mrs. Potiphar pulls out her best moves on Joseph. Uh, Here we're going to see Egyptian secret best moves right here. Um, Take a look, verse 11. She did it day by day, verse 10 tells us. But it happened about the time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside, that she caught him by his garment, grabbed a hold of him, and said, pulled him in close to her, and said, lie with me. And I want you to know when she did, she grabbed him by the clothes, she pulled him close and said, lie with me. And do you know what? It smelled good. And it looked good. And it felt good. And it sounded good. But I want you to know something. It is not good. Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and did what? Yeah, he fled. He fled and ran outside. Uh, Some interesting things here that we see. She turns up the heat, man. It's going on day by day. And he actually flees and actually has to get rid of clothing to get out of her clutch, right? Like she's not letting go. And he says, I don't care about the nice jacket. I don't care about the nice shirt. And he just runs out, man, and gets away from there. And it is important to know, it is important for us to see, because all of us face sexual temptation, and the Bible instructs us very clearly, there is one way and one way only to deal with sexual temptation, and do you know what it is? It is to flee, to flee from sexual immorality. That is the only way we are to deal, deal with sexual temptation. Uh, the Bible is clear. Uh, notice how Joseph handles this. He doesn't say, you know what? You need to know Jesus. Let's do a Bible study together. You sure smell good, by the way. Uh, no, you know what? I've learned in my path as a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. There's some ministry that is not my ministry for sure. And... Uh, If you're single and you got someone, you think, well, I'm going to have a Bible study to win them over. You are on the wrong trail, not your ministry. Let somebody else take care of that. So he doesn't say, oh, you need Jesus. Let's do a Bible study. You know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't go, you know what? We really shouldn't be doing this. 
I know this isn't right. Oh, that's bad of you. Oh, stop that. <laughs> doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Uh, you know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't hang around and say, I think I can handle this. And walk by her desk one more time. Because I think I can handle this. No, he doesn't do any of those things. What does he do? Flee. And do you know why? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. That is how we are to handle sexual temptation. It is the only way. And the Bible makes that very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's on your screens. Let me hear you read this in a loud, unified voice. Flee sexual immorality. Well, I can't hear you very good. Let's read it together. Powerful voice. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. I highlighted the words. Let me hear you read them a thundering voice one more time. The highlighted words. So next time you're tempted, as you're sitting there on the computer, the answer is what? Flee. Flee. And if you think you can dabble around and hang around and you can handle this, let me tell you something. You are fooling yourself. The Bible is crystal clear. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> Flee, right? Like you can't handle this. Uh, this is important that we understand this. Why does God tell us to flee? Why is that his instruction? There's other instruction that he would write to us about other kind of things, that we, other evils we have to face, and he doesn't tell us to flee. Paul would write to Timothy, Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the things of this life, that he might please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The instruction there, oh, you just got to endure this hardship, pal. But that is not the instruction on sexual temptation. The, ins the instruction on sexual temptation is what? Flee. Flee. Why? Why? Why not endure? No, no, no. Flee. Why? Because God knows you cannot handle sexual temptation. Why? Because sexual uh, temptation is incredibly powerful. Why? Because sex is incredibly powerful. Why? Because God designed sex to be between one man and one woman who are married as one flesh. And he gave them that gift and he made it incredibly powerful to do things that we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but it's incredibly powerful. Because it is so powerful, guess what the enemy would like to use? He would like to use that power to get you on the wrong path. And God knows how powerful it is, and it's that powerful on purpose because it does something magical in a marriage. It does something powerful in a marriage. Uh, but misused, you can't handle it. It is too much. Uh, there's certain things we just have to be careful of. Man, if there was anthrax in here, we would be careful. We'd make sure we were a million miles away. And... Uh, Powerful things need great reverence. And for sexual temptation, we ought to have great reverence for God's word, and we ought to flee. That's how God has instructed us to do it. And that's what Joseph does here. He flees. God knows we can easily fall into the snare of sexual temptation. And so we must flee. Uh, the Bible clearly says, by the way, that Christians should have no part in sexual immorality. Even if it is acceptable even if it is popular in the surrounding culture, that we should have no part in it whatsoever. Joseph is here in a land of immorality, in a land of uh, a, God, uh, a pantheistic view of uh, gods, right? Uh, and a lot of them had sexual relations in their uh, worship practices, right? Uh, doesn't matter what culture is doing. Doesn't matter if it's popular. Doesn't matter if it's accepted. We're to stay away from those things. And we would be wise to guard ourselves and to guard our families from these things. And maybe it's time that we do a little inventory check on what is on Netflix. And what is on our entertainment. And what we have allowed to creep into our house. Here we see Joseph says, hey, flee. Flee. 
uh, Bible says, Joseph does. Um, the sex drive is powerful. And it is so powerful, it needs to have great respect for it. I want you to know some things that maybe you, have probably, you probably haven't thought about before. But if we muse on this for a little bit, I think it'll be crystal clear that these things are true to you. Uh, our sex drive is so powerful that it has a powerful influence on our thought life. And uh, everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, thought life. Uh, it also has a powerful I- influence on our behaviors. Even what you wear. Uh, it also has a powerful influence on, this might surprise you, on our belief system. In our actual belief about who God is. It is no coincidence, you just have to look at human history Go through the chronicles of human history and you will see that the majority of false religions involve some sort of sexual activity, sexual beliefs, sexual ideology. You have the God of Eshtar through which we get Easter with bunnies and eggs. Uh, How does that work? Uh, uh, That's a goddess of fertility, the goddess Eshtar. Uh, And... uh, the Moabites and all, uh, all these different re- uh, religions and, and belief systems, uh, your views on sexuality will affect your belief in God. Interesting. And so we need to be careful what we allow to come in. Uh, I will say this. Not only does it affect our thoughts, our behaviors, and our beliefs in God, it also affects us biologically. Think about that for a moment. It affects us biologically. Look at this verse again. And you'll notice this time I've highlighted a different section of the verse. Uh, Let's read it together one more time. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. Hang on. Uh, So if you're prideful, uh, if you're lying, uh, the Bible would say those things are outside the body. It doesn't... But... He who commits sexual immorality, read it with me. What does it say? Sins against his own body. How so? What does that mean? I find it fascinating that uh, science will always eventually come to terms with the Bible. The Bible is not a scientific book, but everything it says in it uh, is 100% in line with science, right? Like They're not contrary. And we have learned in science that this is actually true. We have learned in the last, last 100 years this is actually true. You see, sexual activity produces a flood of two hormones in your body. Uh, dopamine and oxytocin. Uh, dopamine and oxytocin are both horm- hormones that are produced in a uh, just a flood of amounts during the sexual union. Uh, these hormones have two very different purposes. Uh, dopamine is a hormone that works in the reward center of your brain. And it has primarily two functions. Uh, one, to make you feel super good. Just warm and fuzzy. Uh, just amazing inside. And its second purpose is to make you crave whatever gave you that warm, fuzzy feeling. So when you're away from that, you'll remember that that'll be dopamine working in you, and it'll say, hey, let's go back and do that again. It causes you to desire what caused that amazing feeling. That's dopamine working in your memory, uh, forming brain cells to say, you did this and it was this way, go do that again. Okay, uh, that's, the, that's what dopamine is for. How about oxytocin? Oxytocin is commonly called the bonding hormone. And uh, it is a powerful hormone. And I want you to know, I don't mean to be uh, PG-13 on the, close, on the edge of going further, but uh, during relations, during climax, uh, climax uh, oxytocin is released in your body like a flood in torrents. And its purpose 
It's a bonding agent. As a matter of fact, there is no other time in life when oxytocin is released at any other time in your body except one. Uh, it's released during childbirth and during lactation. During lactation, a woman will have oxytocin released at the same amount as sexual arousal. Why? Because it's the bonding hormone. It is God's design. And it's why you wake up at 3 in the morning when you've only been asleep for 30 minutes and that baby's crying again and you nurse and you bond and you go, oh, I just love you so much. <laughs> That's God's design. And this is how God has designed the sexual human uh, union to, to bring. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. It, it makes us want to come back to each other. And it makes us want to bond with each other. And it brings an important and powerful tie in marriage that is profound. Which is why the Bible teaches that sex only belongs in marriage. Between the context of one man and one woman who come together as one flesh as described all through the Bible, and in the Garden of Eden, and in the mouth of Jesus. Uh, and it's a divine union and a divine blessing. Sex is a divine gift that God has given to one man, one woman in marriage, and it's powerful. And the Bible would say, do not deprive one another, but use this gift to the glory of God to make your marriage strong. I will use physiological things. I will actually change your biology through these things. Uh, this will have a biological impact on you, and you will desire each other and want each other and crave each other and feel so close to each other. And what a brilliant design. And here's what it says. If you now go off and you go off into sexual immorality, well, here's what's going to happen. All those things are still going to be working, and it's going to be working against your own body. If we practice sexual sin, our body will enjoy it. It will crave it, and it will bond to it. With behaviors, we'll be bonding with behaviors that are destructive for our overall well-being, and we will be sinning against what? Our own bodies. So now you're looking at pornography. And these dopamine and this oxytocin is being released in you and it feels good and it's triggering your brain to remember where that came from and to crave it and to go back and get it all the time and then that bonding agent is being released and it's bonding you to the things you're looking at and now we find my life is a mess because what I started to enjoy now has control over me, and now it's, and what happens? We sin against what? Our own body. And the world would take these things, and they'll say these kind of words, I just can't help myself. And they're right. And I was born this way. And they're right. Problem? You've been bonding with the wrong things. And if we bond with sexual perversion, uh, yeah, we're, we're contributing. We're complicit, right? And so the only way is to bring our sexual... Uh, we're all sexual deviants, I said a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, on Mother's Day, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> we're all sexual deviants. All of us. Look around. You're looking at a bunch of sexual deviants. Do you know why? Because we have a sin nature. The only difference is, as Christians, we bring our sexual deviances under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't say, we don't champion them. We repent from them. And then we start bonding to the right things that God has given us and all to the glory of God and our lives thrive and prosper as a result. Uh, this is why we must flee sexual temptation. If we don't, it will control us. We, mu we, we must let God decide what is good sex and what is bad sex or we will damage ourselves. Uh, and as Christians, we should have no part in sexual immorality, even if it is culturally acceptable. We're to have no part in it. Does that make sense? Now, Mrs. Potiphar is not happy. You see, uh, when we're not walking with Jesus, we get our identity from other things. 
And Mrs. Potiphar is getting her identity from her appearance, from how sexy, sexy she is. And uh, when that uh, is being spurned, now her very worth is being questioned. And so she's going to turn up the heat and she's going to put her best Egyptian secret moves on Joseph. And look what, he, look what she does here. Uh, take a look at verse 13. Is the Bible not awesome, by the way? Uh, there aren't these I mean, there's amazing stories. Uh, verse 13. And so it was. When she saw that... Uh, did I pick up at the right spot? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it was, when she saw that she had left his garment outside uh, and fled outside, uh, actually, I, 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 she already turned up the heat. We're in a, we're in a different spot now. So, uh, uh, so when she saw that she had left his garment outside, uh, in her, uh, her garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he, that's her husband, Potiphar, uh, has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. I want you to circle the word Hebrew. Uh, what is she doing right there? She's brought in a Hebrew to mock us. What is she doing? You don't know. We'll read further. <laughs> brought in a Hebrew to mock us. Circle Hebrew. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Oh, you little liar. Uh, so she kept his garment until his master, Mr. Potiphar, came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, the what? Oh, there it is again, two times. What is she doing? What is she pulling? The race card. Interesting. This Hebrew servant who you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice, oh, help me, help me, and cried out that he left, with his, he left his garment with me and fled outside. So when his master, Mr. Potiphar, heard the words which his wife spoke to them, saying, your servant did to me in this manner, that his anger was aroused. I guess so. Uh, I bet he wanted to do what? Yeah, I mean, take my wife. Uh, verse 20. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Uh, wow. Um, here, poor Joseph. Uh the blame game, put on him. Poor Joseph in adversity once again. Uh, poor Joseph, uh, he was the CEO of Potiphar Industries, and now he's where? He's in jail. He's lost all his wealth. He's lost all his power, uh, and he's there in jail. How crazy. And I want to take a step back and I want to look at something that the Bible ten, seems to uh, reveal to us here in a very profound and inter interesting way. Uh, there are some commonly used tactics of the ungodly. Uh, these are common practices that are used today, just like they were here 3,000 years ago. Not much has changed. One of them is using the race card maliciously. What the heck? This Hebrew servant, this Hebrew mocked me. She uses the race card two times in this little thing here, and she's using it maliciously. You mean this Hebrew, this good Hebrew man? This one that you were just so hot for moments ago? Uh, this Hebrew who has walked with integrity in everything in your house all this time? Uh, now you pull the race card? I would say, I would present, that is disgusting. I would also say, that is common. People do it. Politicians do it. 
Politicians will have an agenda to suit themselves, this agenda, this desire they want to do, and they will package it in a race packaging to push through their agenda to get their will. Has nothing to do with race. They're using race maliciously. Politicians do it. People do it. Organizations do it. But I want you to know it is evil. It is wicked. It is sinful. Now, I'm not saying racism isn't real. Racism racism is very real. I just shudder at what we did as a country bringing over African Americans in bondage, in ships, in stocks, uh, treating them like cattle. Uh, It is appalling. And there is no place for it. And we ought to fight against it. Uh, It is appalling to see what is happening right now in human history as we speak. In China, there are 12 million Uyghurs. Uh, They are Jewish, excuse me, they are Islamic, definitely not Jewish, uh, Islamic in faith and simply by their faith. Now, now I don't support Islam. I think Islam is a diabolical religion. Uh, But uh, it, it, it is not okay to put people in prison camps just because of their faith. And I saw satellite photos this week, and these prison camps are growing. They, they're, there's, it's estimated there's more than one million Uyghurs in these labor camps right now just being treated horribly. Uh, racism is horrible, and it has to be stopped, and it must be fought against. It's part of our sin nature. But I want you to know, maliciously using race to achieve your goal is also wicked, and it is very prevalent. Uh, may it not be so. The second thing she does, as you'll see, is that she maligns others to justify herself. She herself is a sexual deviant. And so what does she blame Joseph of being? And that is a very common scheme, a common tactic of ungodly people. They, we take uh, the, the evil that we... That, uh, and we project it onto others to justify ourselves. And we see it all the time, everywhere in the world. We surely see it in politics, do we not? Do you know why we see it in politics? Because politics are nothing more than a reflection of the human nature and the spiritual state of the nation. God gives us leaders that we deserve. If we seek him, he will give us wise and profound leaders of character. Margaret Thatcher types, right? If we reject him, the Bible tells us, I'll give you children to rule over you. Can you imagine having a child rule over you? (laughs) Not hard to imagine. Uh, And these are common tactics of the ungodly. And if they are common tactics of the ungodly, then we are prone to them ourselves. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, she accuses him of all this and uh, uh, blaming everybody. It's just a common tactic, right? Like we just blame everybody else. Sure, but uh, there's a proverb I hold on to. It's not a biblical proverb, but it's a good proverb. Uh, And it goes something like this. When everyone around you stinks, the moldy cheese might be in your own mustache. (laughs) I know that's gross. If you're so bothered with everybody else's problems, everybody else's faults, the moldy cheese might be in your own lip, right? Uh, Jesus taught just the opposite, didn't he? Jesus taught, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you don't even consider the honking telephone pole in your own eye? Why do you do that? Why not first worry about your own faults and sins and problems? And then you'll be more clearly able to see and to help with wisdom your brother who has a little speck in their eye. And yet we like to magnify others' sins and ignore what? Our sins. And this isn't the way of those who walk with the Lord. May we be wise. Um, It is important that we take these things to heart and that we understand that these things were not just there in in 
history, but they're there all the time. And here's something that is really cool. When we honestly do look at our own sins, it gives us great compassion on others. And when we do honestly look at our own sins, it makes us see a need for a Savior. And when we see a need for a Savior, Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn over their sins and failures. That what I want to do? That's not what I do. That what I don't want to do? Oh, that's what I Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. They're going to be comforted. When we bring our sin to Jesus, when we understand our need for a Savior, and we call upon him, we say, oh, Lord, help me. I'm such a sinner. He saves us. He forgives us. He restores us. And he puts us on the right path. If you're here today, and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, uh, not your Lord, I want you to know, you can try to cover your sin. You can blame others. You can put masks on. You can try to just... But you need justification. The reason you're trying to justify your behaviors is because you need justification. And Jesus wants to give it to you freely. And the moment you receive that gift, your life is transformed. You are born again. I want to invite you, man. Quit wrestling and come to Jesus. Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. You won't have to justify anymore. You won't have to blame others when you make a mistake to make sure you're looking okay. You won't have to... You'll just be able to go to Jesus and he'll say, I'll wash you, I'll cleanse you, I'll give you new life. Uh, If you'd like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, talk to us after church today and we would love to help you. We'll give you a Bible, we'll get you on, pray with you, get you on a good path. Uh, Poor Joseph though, man, he's facing harsh adversity once again. Uh, He went from being incredibly rich to having absolutely nothing like that in one moment. And where is he now? He's in prison. He's in prison. He's accused of sexual misconduct. And who do you think people are going to believe? Him or her? Who are they going to believe? They're going to believe her. He's accused of sexual misconduct. He's been slandered. His reputation has been scarred. He's been uh, falsely imprisoned. Uh, And you know what he could be thinking? It doesn't matter if I obey God. What does it even matter? What did I do all this for? I mean, I never took one dollar from Potiphar. I could, have t- I could have taken millions. I never took one dollar. I didn't sleep with it. I didn't do it. And what well, does it even matter? Here I am. I've got nothing. And I'm in prison. Where's God? If you were in Jacob's shoes, what would this do to your faith in God? What would you do? Would you be mad at God? Would you lose your faith? Would you say, what the heck, man? I've been betrayed again. This happens over and over. It doesn't seem to matter, man. I should have just slept with that woman. Or would you still believe that God's hand was upon your life? Which one? I want you to know something, church. Pay attention. God is working in our lives in both adversity and in prosperity. God is working equally as much in both situations. You see, God was working in Joseph's life when he gave him a coat of many colors and when his father was bestowing all that love upon him. And God was working in Joseph's life when he was picked on by his brothers and when they wanted to kill him. And God was working in Joseph's life when he was sold as a slave. And God was working in Joseph's life when in Potiphar's house, God raised him up and gave him wisdom and ability to manage Potiphar's house and gave him favor in Potiphar's eyes. God was working. And God is working in prosperity and in adversity. This is God's way. When we go through hard times, we're prone to wander. God, don't you love me anymore? Nothing could be further from the truth. God is working in all of those things. And may our faith not be so shallow that we have this prostitute type relationship with God that I'll love you if you give me. That is not what God is interested in. And our relationship with God is much deeper than that. If God is working in Joseph's life, then why does Joseph have so much adversity? If God has called Joseph as his man, then why is Joseph going through trial after trial after trial? God is doing something far greater in Joseph's life than making him comfortable. 
God is doing something far greater in Joseph's life than making him happy. I know comfort and happiness are, are number one and two on our priority list, right? Like, God, just, just heal me of everything, all my problems, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I know that's on the top of our wish list, right? It's not on the top of God's. Do you know what God's wish list is? Do you know what God's will is? God's desire in our life is to make us men and women of great character. It's to make us great humans. It's to make us profound leaders. People of substance and significance. People of stature, of character. This is God's desire. You see, God is making Jacob into, excuse me, Joseph into something. That's why I've titled this two-part talk, When God Builds His Man. This is how he does it. God is making Joseph someone who is going to be a godly leader. Someone who is wise. Someone who is selfless. Someone who has strong character. Someone who is able to lead a nation when the nation is prospering and when the nation is going through adversity. He will be steadfast and unmovable, full of wisdom. And it doesn't matter how much pressure is on him. He will not capitulate. He will do what is wise. He will have vision. He will have uh, vision when no one else understands. How? Because God built this in him. And like a good father, God is building his man. But I want you to know something. Godly character cannot be built in a vacuum or by a magic wand. Uh, like I know that's what we want, right? We want that. We want magic wand God. We like lightning bolt God. We want God to say, oh, Bill, now you have character. We want to live in sin the whole time we're dating, and then we want to go to the altar, and we want to have a godly marriage. Sorry. When I marry you, I can't sprinkle any magic dust on your head. Doesn't work that way. Godly character cannot be built in a vacuum or by magic wand. Character, like gold, can only be built when it is refined in the furnace of adversity. And this is God's way. We want lightning bolt God. We want fairy tale God. We want magic wand God. God is not any of those things. He is relationship God. And he says, even when you don't understand the adversity that I'm bringing you in, walk with me. Keep your eyes on me. I'm building you. I'm doing something. And in the end, your life will glorify Jesus and you will be something substantial. This is God's work in Joseph's life, God's work in your life, God's work in my life. Like a good father, God is building his man. God has big plans for Joseph. God is going to use Joseph to save millions of lives from adversity, salvation, starvation, famine, all these things. And Joseph will have to have wisdom and character, and that's what God is building in him. He'll be a selfless leader, able to endure tremendous adversity. And I want you to know, some lessons cannot be learned in the palace. Some lessons cannot be learned in the opulence of Potiphar's house. Some lessons can only be learned in the wilderness of adversity. And I don't like going there any more than you do, but I tell you what, God has done some amazing work in my life through the hardships I've experienced. And he's a good father. School is still in session for Joseph, and in hardship, uh, the hardship of prison, God is going to build his man. Let's read verse 21. Uh, see if we can wrap this up, because uh, I know this is unusual, but I'm going long. <laughs> verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Well, it doesn't look like it. He's in prison. But the Lord is with Joseph. Doesn't look like it. He's lost all his wealth. But the Lord was with Joseph. Doesn't look like it. He's lost his reputation. But the Lord is with Joseph and he showed him mercy. And he, God, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his, Joseph's doing. Oh my goodness. 
This didn't happen overnight. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because Joseph was trustworthy and dependable and keeping his eyes on God and doing the right things. And God was with him. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, what does it say? Let me hear you again. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph is growing in character. He's looking like Jesus. And God is making everything prosper under his hand. It reminds me of Psalm 1. Let us muse on that for a moment. Let us meditate on that for a moment. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful, even though it's popular and even though everyone's doing it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night, or in other words, all the time. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf will not fade and he will give fruit in due season. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind blew, blew away. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the day of judgment. And it goes on to say, uh, but those who walk and meditate and, and, and keep on their heart the law of the Lord, they will be blessed in everything they do. And in everything they do, they will prosper. This is the heritage of those who walk in obedience to God. Joseph rises above dire adversity by being obedient to God's word. And this is true for every person who walks in the ways of the Lord. They'll be like a tree planted by the waters of life, the river of water, right? What is God doing? Well, God is building his man. A man who is no longer controlled by the circumstances of life. Who has vision that is broader than just circumstance before him. Uh, he's no longer controlled by the hardship he encounters. He's led by something far more stable. The word of God. God is building a wise man. Who knows firsthand the life-giving power of obeying God's word. And God is building a man of substance. Who rather... In prosperity or in adversity will thrive in every situation he's in because God's hand is on him. And God is working all these things in him gloriously to make Joseph's life something significant, something of stature, something of, of substance, something that will glorify and reveal Jesus to the entire world. And can I tell you something? He's doing the same thing in you. And so may you lean in and may you abide. May you hold fast to God's word. And may you keep God as the highest, most have great reverence for him. May you be full of gratitude. May you walk under the authority that God has put in your life. May you not capitulate when temptation comes. May you flee sexual temptation. It's prone to all of us. We've got to flee. None of us are immune. May you keep, when that temptation comes, your eyes so fixed on God that you say, how could I do this against this God who loves me? And may you be raised up by his power to reflect Jesus in all of your actions. Why don't you stand with me? I told you that jo Joseph, without knowing, his life is reflecting Jesus. I gave you a list of some of those things last week, and this week we get to add to it a little bit. Uh, let's go through it real quick together. Number one, he was sent by the father to go preach his testimony to his brothers uh, uh, on a beloved mi uh, mission of love by the father. Secondly, he was rejected because of his testimony by his own brethren, the tribes of Israel. Yeah, it happened to Joseph, direct picture of Jesus. He was sold to the Gentiles for a few pieces of silver, the price of a slave, Joseph and Jesus, same thing. Uh, he was falsely accused and arrested. Uh, we've added that to our list today. Falsely accused and arrested. 
He was, his tunic was taken by his captors. Happened to Jesus, happened to Joseph. He was left for dead, uh, did not care about him. Uh, we're going to learn next week. We get a glimpse of it here. He's thrown in prison, and he's going to preach, going to interpret two dreams to the spirits in prison. One, a message of salvation. To the other, a message of judgment. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter would tell us, Jesus did the same thing, went into Hades. To those of faith, he preached a message of salvation. To those on the other side of Hades, he preached a message of judgment, and he led captivity captive. Uh, just amazing. Uh, he was raised to power and will sit at the right hand. Uh, Jesus, the right hand of God. Joseph, the right hand of Pharaoh. And ultimately, he's the savior of the world. Joseph, the lesser savior, saved the world of starvation and death from starvation and famine. Jesus, the greater savior, saves the world of sins and eternal separation from God. It is that Jesus who is sovereign over every issue in your life. And if you're going through adversity, keep your eyes on him, walk in him. He's building you to the praise and glory of God. Have a great week. Uh, be a bold light for Jesus. God's hand is upon you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.